Thanks for listening to the Calgary Business Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Wozni, and the following episode is part of a special series titled All Psyched Up About with clinical psychologist Dan McMillan. Dan holds a Master of Education in Psychology and is a clinical and counseling psychologist in the province of Alberta, Canada. Dan is currently the director of Assured Psychology, a medium-sized psychology firm based in Calgary, Alberta, situated in the Kensington area of the city. Dan has been a counselor and therapist in various settings for over 17 years. Dan McMillan spent the first half of his counseling career working primarily at Alberta Health Services with a focus on mental health and addictions. Eventually, Dan transitioned to private practice, and after finding initial success, he expanded to a group practice with an aim to provide quality mental health care to as many people as possible. While the Assured Psychology Clinic attends to a variety of concerns for counseling and assessment, the primary focus of Dan's own work is on adults and couples' mental health and well-being. Dan believes in understanding and treating the underlying causes that create mental health concerns, not just focusing on symptom relief. Dan is proud to say that his firm, Assured Psychology, also shares these values and promotes warm, competent, caring for all its clients. I hope you enjoy the All Psyched Up About series, whereby Dan McMillan will discuss and seek to unpack a variety of issues and topics around mental health. I invite you to subscribe to this podcast from whatever app you access your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and even Amazon Music. I also invite you to leave a review. This will allow others to easily find the Calgary Business Podcast, including all episodes in the All Psyched Up About series. Once again, thanks for listening and have a great day. Good afternoon and welcome to the All Psyched Up About podcast. I'm your host, Alan Wozni, and I'm joined in the Zoom room across the, across the studio, or the, I don't know what I call it, studio, is clinical psychologist, Daniel McMillan. Oh, yeah. Having me, Alan. It's nice seeing you again. You too. And Daniel, I got to say, this is, uh, you know, this is, we're, tr- we're trying something new for the benefit of our two listeners yeah. um, that are going to hear all, they're going to get psyched up about, but what should people get psyched up about today? Yeah, you know, kind of how I ended our chat last time and for those two listeners. <laughs> but um, I, I, for me as a, as a therapist, as a psychologist, my passion, at least my passion with sharing with you is talking about sort of the things I don't think we talk about enough or give credit to enough True. that really impact people's lives. And so I thought today the most useful version of that would be to talk about emotions because they run our lives, they dictate most of what we do, but we never really talk about them. We never really learn about them. We just sort of live our lives by them um, without having really given them much thought. And um, definitely as a therapist, I see this in my office a lot. Obviously people come for emotional reasons most of the time, but but I just think culturally we have so much problem with this. So that's what I think I'm all psyched up about to talk about today. So we have the title is emotions, friend or foe. So mm-hmm. thank you for that introduction, Daniel. I mean, I I couldn't I couldn't say better. So look, so what? Why do we? What's the role of emotions? I guess in your 
you know, I guess in your work, is that, is that how you want to frame that the role of emotions for your work or the role of yeah. emotions in our lives? Well, I, I like how you said that in my, in my work or even in our lives, because I don't claim to be, you know, there's, there's academics that spend their entire careers studying, studying basic emotions, saying one or two emotions, like um, I, I'm a clinician, you know, so everything I'm sharing with you is learned wisdom, but is mostly clinical wisdom. Um, and so I like how you said that because because I, I wanted to put that caveat in me. Make, my emotion right now is feeling a little bit nervous, so I want to put that out there. Um, but I think this is very important. I think that most of us don't really consider why we have emotions. We, sorry, we just live our lives trying to have more of the ones we enjoy and less of the ones we don't. Right. Um, and I, I think that there's real value in understanding the point of emotions, particularly core emotions. So there's what's called core and secondary emotions. And again, there's many different versions of this in academia, but I like this one. So everything I'm going to speak to today is the learned wisdom that I've gained. Um, right, right. So most of us understand a secondary emotion, you know, your partner hurts your feelings, but instead of telling them you're hurt, you get angry. That's a secondary emotion. Secondary emotions tend not to be very useful emotions, but core emotions are what we fundamentally feel. And there's only a few of them. This is what I think is really cool. There's only a few of them that exist. This is sort of broken down in different ways, again, in academia. But the version I like is the basic six. Uh, and those are sadness, shame, fear, core anger, joy, and surprise. And if you think of that list, most people tend not to dislike joy, although for some people it can be scary. Surprise tends to elevate their emotions, but it tends not to be when people are that worried about. But shame, core anger, fear, and sadness, most of us are not fully comfortable with any of those four emotions. Okay, um, so the, but you mentioned core anger, but then there's secondary anger as well. So if, if it's triggered from the XY effect, I guess that you'd call that. Yeah, that's a big difference. Secondary anger um, is anger that's covering up something else and tends to be that toxic, unhealthy anger that most of us see and we think of when we think of anger. You know, someone cuts you off in traffic, you actually feel afraid, but instead you, you've you given them the finger and tell, tell them um, until you pass no. them, you see it. Like, Nobody does uh, that, Daniel. Nobody does that. Admit it. <laughs> yeah. Road rage. That's I've road never. Rage. But until you past that car and then you see you know maybe it's a, a senior citizen and they're struggling to drive and then all of a sudden or you see it's someone driving the hospital and then all of a sudden you're not angry anymore um but um so secondary anger is covering up another emotion that we're not comfortable being vulnerable enough to express traditionally men do this a lot but both genders tend to do this core anger is very important core anger is a thing that protects our boundaries the best way i describe core anger to people is if you're walking down the street, let's say with your niece or nephew or kids, or, or you have some little person that you're taking care of and a truck pulls up and tries to grab that little, throw them in the truck. Even as I say this, I feel powerful across the chest and shoulders. I know that this won't happen. I won't allow this to happen. Yeah. I feel this sense of power and anger, but I don't feel like I'm going to go online and troll them on Facebook and bully them from afar. Like I don't, I don't have that unhealthy anger. I just know that this boundary, I won't let it happen. That's the rule of core anger. We have this powerful force inside of us. Many people disallow, actually not many people, all of us 
to some degree have an uncomfortable relationship with some of our emotions, if not most of them. And for people that have disallowed core anger, so they grew up and they were never allowed to experience it, never allowed to feel it, or maybe they experienced trauma. And so they learned to be afraid of their power because they're worried it'll, it'll make things worse for them or many other things. They lose their sense of power in this world. So you ask, what's the role of emotion? Emotion is very important. It orientates us to what's important in the world, our core emotion. It moves us towards an action tendency. Right. Uh, and then it kind of signals other people on how to react. So, so for example, if I secretly am feeling ashamed, you know, uh, this podcast goes terribly and I go home to my partner and I feel ashamed. I feel like I'm such a bad psychologist and, and I can reach to them and I say, you know, honey, like, I just, I don't feel good about myself right now. Can I have some reassurance? I'm feeling kind of down. This happened. That pulls a response from her and she says, oh, and she gives me the reassurance I need. Versus if I go home, so that's a core emotion. If I go home with a secondary emotion and I, you know, instead I'm annoyed, I pick a fight about something, right? I don't know who didn't pick up. That's the, that's the that kick the cat right? syndrome, right? You're, you're coming home and you kick the cat because it's convenient or the exactly. last, yeah, the, the last. Exactly. Week is the metaphorical cat that usually isn't the cat, but the partner yeah. um, or I'm annoyed or I'm just distant and cold or something. You can guess the response that's going to get me. That's going to get me not what I need. And this is very important. Most of us live our lives terrified of the vulnerability of our core emotions. And so we end up expressing secondary emotions, which don't get us closer to what we need. They get us further away from them. So the role of a core emotion is that it shows us what matters. It moves us into an action tendency, an action that actually is helpful. Fear, this is the most obvious one. To fight or flight or freeze is a very important response. It helps us right. survive why we're on this planet still. Um, and so fear, if we didn't listen to fear, we would be dead as human beings, you know? Uh, so it gives us what we're supposed to do, anger to set a boundary, to assert ourselves, shame to seek others and comfort, uh, sadness also to seek others and to grieve, to mourn, to express, yeah. fear to act in ways to regain safety. Um, Wait, is that, the, is that the expression misery loves comfort? Is that where that comes from? Something is this like it must be a psychological term because if I you're sad know. or I mean, I don't know where that comes from, but probably that because, yeah, usually when we experience them, even joy, we yeah. want other people. Yeah. One of the important roles of emotion is that they drive our relationships. And I say all this because often in my office, I have highly intellectual people and I have to convince them, even though they are inherently born with core emotion all human beings are, I have to convince them that they have emotions and they actually have a purpose. And what ends up happening is since you were inherently born with emotions and they have a very important evolutionary purpose, but you learn to disallow them. So in the home you grew up in, maybe you weren't allowed to sing comfort for shame or you were allowed to be angry yes. or you, you're a man in this culture, so you can't you're allowed to be afraid or ashamed or sad. You can only be angry or happy, you know, or you're a woman, so you have to disallow your anger, whatever it is what you what happens is there an inherent tension that is created between this inherent force that helps us survive that gives us what we need that, that directs us towards what we need and gives us a response we're supposed to listen to and helps our relationship but we learn that that's not okay because when i did that mom or dad or whoever they told me not to do that or i yeah. got spanked or i got sent to my room by myself and that isolation hurt 
So I don't do that anymore. Instead, I Well, that's a Pavlov's dog, right? You just don't do it because you're conditioned. You're conditioned not to have a, a certain response or not to not act or show emotions in a certain way. I mean, that, I think that's an analogy I can think of. Yeah, if you think, yeah. But if you think about this is true for all of us. And it's shown babies very, very young. I, I don't remember exactly, but I think around eight months, not totally sure on that, begin to sense what emotions the parent doesn't like and begins to alter its behavior. A babe, like think of that. That's incredible because we are a packed animal. We need to fit into the pack. And if yeah. the leader of the pack tell me you can't cry in this family, very quickly I learn not to cry. And then as an adult, what do I do when I'm sad? If I can't cry and get reassurance, or if I feel like because I'm a man, I can't cry or whatever else, what do I do with that force? What do I do with that energy? It doesn't just go away. That's right. So then I start doing something else. I get angry or I drink or I avoid or I work a lot or whatever it is. Okay, so you, you, you've mentioned the term and the natural course of emotion. So that's, we're all born, inherently born with it. But what happens when it doesn't happen? What if that, that you know, most of us don't get what you, you know, they don't sort of follow that, that pattern. What happens? Yes, I, I think about this, like if we either, if we left here and we went to a nearby playground and we watched, we would see for the most part, emotions, natural course, which is that it arises. So, you know, you'd be watching a five-year-old run and play and someone would get scared or someone get hurt or someone get angry or someone's feelings would be hurt or something. The emotion would arise, they would express it they would listen to the need in it, which usually is relational. So they'd run to, to their caregiver for a hug or they'd try to stand up for themselves or, you know, or they would avoid the scary thing, whatever it is, but they'd listen to the need and then they'd move past it. You wouldn't see, maybe you'd see some, but for the most part, you wouldn't see a lot of those little kids leave the playground carrying all this emotion. Not unless when they ran to that caregiver, that caregiver yeah. told them, you know, don't you cry, you don't cry, or get back on that, don't, you don't be afraid, or whatever, if they were ashamed for that feeling, they might, but yeah. if they just allowed it, and, and given comfort, and what they needed, you would see the natural arc of emotion, you would see, you wouldn't see all these five-year-olds in the playground, you know, bottling up all stuff, <laughs> but if you then left, and you went downtown to an office, and you saw maybe a tough meeting, you know, and you watched what happened, and you could see the emotion rise in people, yeah, you know, but a very different experience might happen. And obviously it's not appropriate to act like a five-year-old in the middle of a boardroom. Um, but we have a, this natural course in which we're meant to express our emotion, to get us in relationships, what we need and to feel better. And when we don't do it, because most of us don't, aren't, don't grow up in homes where that's really loud. We develop these relationships with our emotions. Like I'm, I'm okay, she want these ones, but not these ones. Yeah. And then we start to do other wacky things instead. And that dictates a lot of our life. What's incredible. So for the business, because I, I know some of the business people you work with, you know, the meetings, the red, you can see it. People, when they change the red, their, their face gets red or their neck gets red or they're fidgeting with their hands or they're gripping the coffee mug a little bit or, or shaking, you know, like it, there, there's some physical signs, even though they're not showing those emotions uh, externally lives in our body very much so lives in our mind but lives in our body very much so and you can see it yeah that's a good point we think we we can hide it but we really can't <laughs> human beings pick up radar on each other's emotions and so that would be a good example if someone didn't learn how to how to have healthy anger if they didn't grow up in a home where they were taught that then that person might 
just be quiet and not assert themselves? How many yeah. person would be hyper aggressive and dominate the meeting and not be able to listen to another person's perspective? You know, that what that person, their the relationship with that emotion when experienced, when experienced, or if they felt shame and then they have to come back and shame another person. Are, I think most of us should consider what are the emotions we're not comfortable with? You know, like like a like a scale, like on a zero to ten scale of those six, which are the ones I, I'm like an eight, which is pretty good, and which are the ones I'm like a four. So for me personally, I'm not that good with fear. I didn't realize this till recently, but I like to turn my fear into intellectualizations. So if I was afraid of, you know, something bad happening, not like a spider, but someone hurting my feelings or something happening, I would turn into lots of reasons why this is probably going to happen. I would tell you that you're the reason you're going to do this to me. That's not going to help me. Yeah. Um, it took me years to get more comfortable with sadness. That's something I had to learn. Joy was an easier one. Shame is still hard. I think each of us should think about what are the emotions I don't feel very comfortable expressing to people. I don't feel comfortable being vulnerable with myself. And then what do I do instead? Do I bottle up? Do I numb it? Do I express it in a different emotion? Do I lose, distract with something? Do I turn it into intellectualization and think and talk and cognition? Because that's safer. But I, I don't I, I, you, everything you talk about. Oh, sorry. Because Danny, when I listen to you, I'm thinking I, literally to the business side and, you know, and the name and shame. Like if someone's feeling shame or he or she was ashamed of their bad report or the bad presentation, whatever it was, and they come into this big meeting, and it's like, you know, how do you, you know, I, I can just see that causing or creating opportunities for you to help numbers of people, maybe not just you, but people like yourself, because this happens in the corporate world every single day. This it's, happens everywhere that human beings exist. Yeah. Like the, that's what I really want to drive home. All most of the things I talk about, if not all of them, are for everyone. Like this is this is true because every human being has these has emotion. And no human being is fully comfortable with all of them, which means no human parent is fully comfortable teaching all of them, like how to be with them. And and so we kind of pass this down again and again, unconsciously for the most part. And then if trauma or something really difficult happens, then it really exacerbates this system. You know, if if I can't cry. Yeah. Or if I be scared and then something really terrifying happens to me, you know, I, I go to war or something like that, or I get in a car crash or I have a assault or whatever. What do I do with those feelings as they happen now? Um, and, and those feelings quickly become maladaptive feelings because they signal, they're meant to signal, they signal something really bad is going to happen. I have a panic attack in the middle of the office because I, that bang reminded me of an explosion. Or, right, right. Um, but if I can't know how to be with this emotion, then I have no idea how to be with it when it's really overwhelming. So in relationships, we see a lot of this. That's mostly what relationship counseling is, is you help people distill their vulnerable emotion and get them to reach to the other person, which that person experiences that and usually responds in the way they need. They need a little help getting there, but that's essentially sure. what counseling is. Um, okay, so it's... Okay, so it's almost like you've used some terms repair and damage and, and I mean, is this, why is repair so important? Yeah, so I think this is really cool. Um, I think it's neat. Human beings are sort of built to mess up. <laughs> um, for example, for, for a securely attached bond, uh, children need you to get it right about 30% of the time, which means 70% of the time you can make mistakes. You can make mistakes. Um, and this is even cooler. 
even when you make mistakes, even when you have, there's a rupture, like a hurt in a relationship, the better determinant of the, of the happiness of the satisfaction of that relationship is not actually the conflict, is not actually the hurt, it's the repair that happens afterwards. Right. So this is really cool. We're built to go back and be like, hey, honey, I know last night I, was, I wasn't myself and I kind of bit your head off and I'm really sorry about that. I actually was really stressed about work and I shouldn't have done, like we're built to do that, which I think is pretty cool. Um, and so the problem is, so, sorry, I'm losing myself, but no, no, um, the, the importance of repair is that even if we get it wrong, you, you know, you're sad, you're a little guy, you're sad, no one really comes to you. But then later that night, dad sits on your bed and says, hey, son, I'm really sorry. I was totally distracted with work, but something's up. What's going on? Talk to me. Like, we have a chance to go back and help heal those injuries when they happen. And that's a better determinant of our relationship with these emotions, I believe. Right. This is really neat. And it doesn't stop just in childhood. I've seen a lot of people be able to change their experiences now as adults by approaching or having a different relationship with their parents now, if they can. If not, they still need to have a different relationship with themselves. So I'm trying to find a way to distill this really simply, but if I think of most the things that walk in my office they're really people don't like how they're feeling that's what tells people we're unhappy right we don't like it's what tells you what type of ice cream you want your feelings um but but the problem is we keep trying to apply intellectual solutions to our feelings yeah take cart you know a long time ago or a couple hundred years ago said i think therefore am and they really create this divide it's not actually true when you're resourced when you you know when we're sitting here calmly and things are reasonable we can help influence how we feel with our thinking. I can think positively and I can feel a little bit better. I can practice gratitude and feel better. But if the fire alarm goes off or if, you know, you scream at me or if I get a bad call from someone, all of a sudden we have a different system and our actually our feelings dictate our thoughts. You know, the fire alarm's going off or there's a fire beside me. Yeah. That my emotions dictate how I'm thinking. And I think this is very important because if we don't tend to the emotions, then we can't tend to the thinking. And most people try to change their feelings by changing their thinking. But some, which only works half the time, the other half, we got to reverse that. We got to look after, why do I feel this way? What do I need? But that, that's where it would seem like training. And so because the fire bell, we're trained to do, you know, go in single file, don't panic, right? You know, kids in school now, and, and just think of some of these, that trigger that, you know, that when... And I'm just, you know, the extreme is being obviously the, the gun, the gun in the classroom or whatever, when a gunman comes to the classroom, but that training that instills, you know, the repetition, that repetition becomes your, your easy, it, it, you're less, you're almost, you're less over, you will less be inclined or less inclined to overreact. Right. So I think that's where work with you or that kind of train, the repetition helps. Yes. Like, you know, I mean, you can train yourself to have a reaction and to take the power away from, you know, if you're a lion trainer, you don't feel that much fear working with a lion, I would imagine. I don't know. You know, you can, we can habituate to some degree. However, there's a point in which that lion does something a little different or does attack you or something that your emotions take over. Well, Cisco um, Niebuhr, you're speaking to the guys in Vegas, right? He, he, he basically got his head trapped in the, the lion. That was terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So, but if you think about this culturally, um, we're not very comfortable with this. We're very comfortable with intellectualization. We're very comfortable with thought. 
it gives us a sense of power. It gives us a sense of, um, I can control my world. We're not very comfortable with the emotions we don't like. Like think of all the things for yourself, for myself, think of all the things we do to try to feel good and try yeah. to not feel bad. From, from what we eat to you know who we involve our lives, what we do in a day. Um, and then when things go wrong or when things are bad, we spend a lot of time on our thoughts. We really do. We try to solve the problem. But what do we do with our feelings? That's always my first question when someone comes in. They tell me all the problems. And, but I want to know, okay, what, when you're feeling this sadness or this yeah. grief or loneliness, what is it that you do with that? And people look like dumbfounded, like, whoa, what do you mean? Well, you told me what you think about it. What do you do when you feel this terrible right. or this grief or you ache for it? What, what is it that you do in your dark moment? Like, what happens at that? Oh, uh, and usually we're pretty embarrassed about, oh, I eat a bucket of cookies or, oh, I, you know, I, I watch TV until I go to bed or whatever it is. We, um, and, but what we don't do is very important. Oh, and do you, my next question is, do you tell anyone about it? Is there anyone you can, do you reach out to that? Right. And usually the answer is no, or, well, I could, but um, very few people walk in my office, experience their feelings, can hold them look after them and when they need which is when they get too overwhelming reach out for another person and say hey this is what's going on for me from a vulnerable point of view i would say that is the fundamental map we're meant to follow and it's so difficult because it's so vulnerable so it's back to that the child the, the play in the playground and the nanny come or whoever's got the care whoever it is comes up and they're told not to cry if they, if they hurt themselves that's it. You're looking for an outlet as a child, an early, an early day. And if you're rejected from there, don't have that outlet that I guess it stays, is it stay bottled up in, in a lot of people? Yeah. Essentially it creates a map or, or these rules, right? Like if you, that's often my question I'll ask, what did you do with this? When you were little, what did you do with this? When you were felt sad or shame, what did you do with that feeling? Who was there for you? People will usually say no one. And then they'll, if, if, if they're in, self-aware and insightful often they can say what they'll do oh, i went to cry alone in my room or i'd read books or i went into the woods and played um, by myself or i you know i never came home i was really busy and i whatever it is um but but it creates a, like a, a strategy when i start to feel it's a visceral feeling at first in my gut when i start to feel that shame shame most of it i use it because it's because most of us are uncomfortable with when i start to feel that shame feeling or the the sadness or whatever the feeling that yeah. I didn't think that no one could really hold me. And when I start to feel that, then it becomes this rule. I have to do this. I got to get away from it. So when I start to feel shame, I got to, I, when I was a kid, I'd go BMXing, but now I'm not BMXing, but I got to do something. I got to distract, I got to turn the TV on, whatever. Um, but the problem is that doesn't actually deal with the feeling, um, you know, and so it's avoidance. It's avoidance because you're, you're deflecting to something else. Yeah. And not really coming and hitting it head on. Like, what do they say? Tackle that first head first, right? You're not because you're going into the forest or you're going to ride your BMX bike, whatever it is, your outlet. It's an outlet. Which would be okay, except it's an evolutionarily useful thing, our, our core emotions. It's, you know, you have hunger because you were meant to eat to survive. If you didn't listen to your hunger, if you learned hunger was bad, yeah. never listen to it, it wouldn't go so well for you. Same with thirst, right? <laughs> yeah. That's right. right. Like many of our urges. 
this is an evolutionarily important thing. So when we turn up, try to turn off the tap on some of our feelings, there's a consequence. I think most people think that there won't be a consequence. We'll outsmart it. But this is millions of the years in the making. We've only been cortical beings for a short time on this earth. We have had a limbic system, amygdala. So that's our deep uh, mammalian brain for a long time, millions of years, very long time. Uh, and so you can't really outsmart it. And the problem is when we get that map and we, as a child, and then we live the rest of our lives following that map, it tends to create real problems in our lives. Now, I mentioned, I know you mentioned, so you mentioned some rules and there are, these are kind of invisible rules, right? That we, they're, they're, it's not like a, you pull down, I mean, I guess if you were like Terminator and you could pull down or some kind of robotic thing and you could pull down the menu, you can't, right? These are just rules. How do people, I mean, what do people do? What do you recommend? You know, I use the word rules because they're really unconscious. Like, like you and I are actually doing these now. I, I don't even know I'm doing them, but there's like a, a line of vulnerability. I'm not crossing, you're not crossing. You know, I'm, I'm experiencing some things that are appropriate for this conversation. Some yeah. Aren't. You know, I mentioned I felt a little nervous at the start, you know, but there's a, probably, I have some feelings about some earlier things today that I'm holding out. Like we all have these rules that we operate by and i'm not arguing that we don't have them because it would be chaos if we didn't yeah but I think having conscious control having intention over our way of being holds or essentially holds the power that's where we can gain our personal power so if you know not if on whatever feelings are the difficult ones to hold for mostly shame sadness fear and anger but you know can be joy for many people oh if you can pick one or two of the ones that are really hard, if you reflect on your own life and think like, I, it, it's easy to think about what are the ones I express. If I inherently have it, but I don't, I'm not even aware of it. Yeah. That's probably the difficult one. If you say, oh, I don't really have sadness. Well, you do. <laughs> if you don't believe me, look at any children under age four. Like <laughs> every day, my children cried probably twice this morning. <laughs> like, well, it's like, <laughs> no, but that's funny. It's not funny, but like, you're like, when do they stop crying? Like, I remember. I remember having those questions because, because that's, they're just feeling sad or something, you know, something's bothering them greatly. And if they can't ver verbalize it, they, they certainly do it through crying. It depends on the age, but yeah, no, no. I, I hear. And even should we ever truly stop crying? Like you shouldn't cry in Safeway, like my four year or five year old. <laughs> is it, is it? And I, I read this around. No, the validity of this, but the, the chemical makeup of a tear is different, of a sad tear is different from a joyful tear. Um, so you actually are lit like literally moving these chemicals out of your body. Yeah. Um, yeah, so these invisible rules um, become essentially rules that we live our life by. You know, um, when things are good, we don't tend to worry about them. But when things are hard, you know, what do I talk to people about? What do I show people? What do I express? What do I feel myself? For me, a big part of my journey was learning to feel sadness, learning to, have, to be okay feeling sad and not, I thought white knuckling and toughing it out was the answer. It turns out that's not really the answer. And I think it makes you sick. Um, and now learn to have different relationship with fear and shame. How to, and instead of doing the rules, so instead of just shoving it down, pretend fine, I'm sad, or if I'm a fearful turning into thought and and why this is going to happen but intellectually or shame just hiding it 
instead learning how to express that and ask for what I need from people so I can let go of it and not carry that. I think most people know the feeling of caring feelings, like they're just bogged down by it. And I so, I mean, let's go back to something you mentioned that it's that, you know, you're feeling certain things from either before that happened or maybe something, there's a trigger that happened during this podcast. I mean, reality is we're not going to go back and unpack all those six, let's say the six core emotions or, you know, that you're not going to unpack. Okay. Let me just, yeah, I mean, reality is there's some things you're just going to forget about it until another trigger hits. Yeah. Um, some things I stubbed my toe. I don't need to spend two hours talking with you. About yeah, it's it's a good it's a good point because our emotions tell us if something needs to be addressed. So if something bars you for a moment and then passes, genuinely passes, not you're really good shoving into a box. Probably it wasn't that crucial, but if you're thinking about it, if it's weighing on you, you have a responsibility to address that. I like that. I like that you've I think you're responsible to yourself and probably those around you, right? So that you know, like you're not coming home and kicking the cat or you're yelling at the, your spouse or significant other or whoever. Yeah, it's so easy, you know. Um, I had a friend that was using my house for some things while I was away, um, and I was fine with it. And then a couple of days before, how just how a bunch of circumstantial things worked out, all of a sudden I started feeling not okay with it sort of the way it comes through in the text or I'd read it and then some of the circumstances we were supposed to spend time here and it didn't work out and blah, blah, blah. All of a sudden I started to think unhelpful thoughts. I started to think, is a person using me? You know, are, 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 are like taking advantage of me? I started to feel a little passive aggressive, a little resentful. I'm responsible for this feeling. Yeah. So I could either say nothing because I'm scared of conflict. I don't love conflict. I could say nothing. And then it, it holds and is this invisible Thing between me and that person it's a brick in a wall between or i'm accountable to my emotion and it didn't go away it wasn't like a flash yeah i slept on it the next morning i felt that way so i had to address it. i had to tell this person hey this is what's happening inside me can you reassure me this isn't the case like you know i'm feeling a little bit like worried that you're using but and they they were wonderful i knew that they, I, part of me knew they would be i knew this wasn't the case sure but another part of me just began to have that feeling and i could try to think differently about it i could try to shove it away because it's not good for the ship but instead i turned to them no i didn't take it out on them i didn't make passcards i say hey i'm starting to feel kind of uncomfortable how this went down i'm okay with using my house but i'm feeling kind of icky about that conversation and, and how we're not seeing each other now but can you kind of respond to this like is this okay and they reassured me and that's all i needed and then i thought oh and they didn't bother me again, but I had to be responsible to that rather than hold it in and it'd be a brick between me and them. We were responsible to our resentment. You know, but see, 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 this is triggered. This reminds me, I mean, I can take, I don't have examples specifically, but it reminds me, you say something and I say it goes the other way. He or she talks to the wife or the friend or whoever and says, and they're like, they shouldn't have responded that way. You know, they create something that you don't see. Yeah. The other, the other background, the other background noise. That was my fear. And when I talked to my partner about it, she said like, well, that could create a big issue. And I sort of said, that's true, but I can't be- You can't keep it in. For this yeah. With, yeah. I can't control what happens. I can't control another person, but I, these are sort of these rules I try to live my life. I have to be authentic to myself, not justification to lash out or be petty to that person, but to vulnerably tell them in a way that they can hear what's happening inside me. And if it barred me for a minute, no. If it bars me for enough 
time that it, I know that it's actually bar me, then I have a responsibility to address it. I think this is very important. So, I mean, this is like, it, it's you and I, you've it's some notes you put on, we talked about this a bit, like it's a self-fulfilling cycle. So you fulfill your need to transfer that to them. And it's, uh, maybe bite you, it'll come back to bite you in the, in the rear at some point. If, if, you know, something tricky, maybe you, you went too far in some, and I'm, I'm just giving you, I'm using you as a scapegoat here or the, but it's like, you might have said one thing and it's like, and then, and then they pick up on that. It's kind of like you, you, there were some triggers in what, when they used your house. And then later like, Daniel, just one thing's been bothering me. <laughs> it's like, it's a back and forth self-fulfilling uh, cycle. Well, if you ask this person or if you ask me, I feel closer to them now. They feel closer to me. You're right. If they um, are able to, that they, you know, didn't sit well with them, they and they have the same rule. They have to tell me about it. I can't guess. You know, yeah. If they're resentful against me or something, that's on them. They have to communicate to me. We have to express. And it doesn't guarantee someone's going to respond the way you want, but it's the only option. And conflict Resolved conflict or repaired conflict is a better indicator of a close relationship than the degree of conflict. So this is really important. We try to yeah. avoid conflict, but we actually just need to repair like, uh, and be more transparent about how we feel. Most of us live our lives with these invisible rules like this, like, oh, I can't say that. You shouldn't say something rude, but you do have a responsibility to communicate what's happening for you to that relationship, or you're choosing to create resentment and distance relationship. That's your choice. I think it's very helpful from a, a, a relationship like personal, you know, I guess if you take a love or family, but what about in a business relationship? Do you have an, is that, that's not really a business relationship, but it could be, do you have an example where that could be applied in a business case? Yeah, well, you know, none of my training or even my way of thinking is very business related. So um, I will have to sort of tell you what I, what I do. Um, so I'm a psychologist, but also, you know, I'm the director of Assured Psychology. Uh, and I try to apply all of the same rules, all the all my knowing into this role. I, I, I don't see it as different. I think the days of never say sorry, never look backwards, never apologize, you know, dominate, dominate. I think those are unhealthy. Um, I think authentic, vulnerable leadership is, it may not be the most common, but it, I think it, it really creates people that want to support you and want to support the, the, the cause that you all believe in. So for, for me, it's the same way in work. I, I just finished my round of meetings with all my staff, asking them, how's our relationship doing? In what ways have I, have I hurt you? In what ways have I ruptured it? And I learned some really interesting things, things yeah. that make me a leader and then vice versa. I gave them their feedback. I, I had to say, you know, in this way is it going well? And this way, you know, I'm not feeling very good about how this is showing up. Um, you, know, and, you know, this is my baby. This is my business. And this is like the things that need change. But also. That sounds like a 360 review, which is it's, it's two-way feedback, which does work in a business. Yeah. That, that's exactly what a lot of big corporations do. Okay, great. I didn't even know that. So, yeah, I don't know much about the business world. Um, <laughs> but you're in a business. So, but let yeah, I want this. We're going to pause for a second because we've got uh, station identification and then we'll come right back. Thank you for listening to the Calgary Business Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Wozni, and I'm excited to share with you the Streakers Gaming app. 
founded by Craig Weisenfels out of Barrie, Ontario. Since early July 2022, Craig and his team have been working with the Backers Network, including myself and Justin Fox, to promote Streakers Gaming Inc., a sports betting app that he created in order to maximize your enjoyment, knowledge, and excitement of watching sports. Instead of betting against the house on your favorite team, participants only place bets against one another in a private group, in one-on-one -on -one challenges, or in a general challenge involving other members of the Streakers gaming community. Many people are aware of the annual tradition in Canada of taking part in the office NHL hockey pool or the fantasy NFL football league with your friends. You may also be familiar with many of the popular sports betting apps or online casinos that allow you to make personal bets against the house. These tend to be high risk and can be quite stressful, particularly if you place a significant wager amount. In fact, many people shy away from such betting for fear that it is too risky. As one of my friends recently said when I told him of the Streakers Gaming app, I've always been hesitant to do online betting, but perhaps this is a safe and easy platform. The Streakers Gaming app provides you with a risk-free environment to try out your betting skills on all your favorite sports, including traditional sports like hockey, baseball, basketball, football, soccer, and tennis, but also the not-so-obvious sports like UFC fighting, women's rugby, and esports such as Overwatch, Call of Duty, League of Legends, and Dota. The Streakers Gaming app is available for download on both Apple and Android devices. Download the app today to access your first 50 tokens for free and start placing your free bets on this week's featured sports. Have a great day. So yeah, Daniel, I mean, in my experience, that's, they call it perform in performance reviews, that's like a 360 review. You get all the staff around you, your supervisor, and who you lead, and then the upward. I don't know how candor, how much candor is done sometimes in the, in those where they, you know, everyone's trying to, you know, how much you know real feedback unless it's anonymous. I don't know. see. That's something maybe you can explore as a business person yourself. Now, is it really getting? Are they sharing? Is it true emotions? Are they sharing their true thoughts, or they're holding back because they know yeah. someone's going to read that? Yeah. I think it's an important question. I think it's determined by your relationship with that person. So that, I, you know, I remember, so years back when it was a World Bank and they'd, I was working with the World Bank, so they're pretty much, this stuff is, it seemed like it's boilerplated stuff. And it, you, unless it was anonymous, you know, they did anonymous surveys and I think big, big companies do it as well. They don't really get that feedback. It's tough. I guess it's very difficult. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that is a reflection of the trust people have in their relationship. Yeah, well, do I trust them how you you can hear it and respond. Yeah, it's a, you're this. I mean, that's that X Y. Literally, the X Y thing. I learned that in uh, in business school. Like we, you know, X Y. The X is the stimulus of Y, right? That's happening every single minute, every single hour when there's in in, in interaction with people. Yeah, it's an it's an unconscious dance. It, it, it's it's once I say something and signals you and you, my face, my tone, my body, and a little bit of my words, not as much as we think, signals your response, you respond back. This is how we, 
how we dance in relationships. You know, if I show up aggressive, you're going to respond in a way. If I show up soft, if I show up sad, like um, our emotions determine this dance. They're, they're the music to quote yeah. Sue Johnson. They're the music in, in which we do this human dance constantly. But most of us walk around fairly unaware that this is the music until the music is blaring, right? Till we're <laughs> rageful or yeah. whatever. Um, and the less aware you are of your emotional experience, the more it tends to drive your behavior, not the opposite. Um, which is funny because if you ask those people, they say, oh, I don't, I don't have those feelings or I don't, uh, okay, well, what do you do? I, say, I don't do anything. Okay. Well, interesting. You're coming here with an addiction. Let's talk about how that might be impacting that. Yeah. Um, one That's I think. Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. No, no, you, Al. I was just saying it's incredible, like just the way you describe that, because it's you, you people come in and say, I don't have the emotion. But when I guess through your series of discussions, you really flush it out, like you flush out what the really, you know, what their emotions are. And then and then you even further you probe. I mean, as a consultant, I'm not, a, you know, consultants are trained and I, you know, I learned to probe and find out what the problems are to probe and then come up with solutions. So, you know, that seems to me your role you know flushing out the emotions and coming up with ways to how they can deal with that yeah my role is as i see it is um to help them gain a different experience in the room um both partly to understand and like explain this but mostly to experience it so that then they can do it out of the room so in the room if they can experience a part of themselves that they inherently have but can't share, can't experience. But if we can create enough safety that they can do that, that they can feel their sadness, that they can, we were talking about core anger at the beginning. This is very important for trauma survivors to experience again, it's their right. core anger. And so if they can experience this in their body and their emotions, they can share with another person, listen to the need. Sometimes the need with core anger is to scream or to get up and run, which I encourage people to, you know, for their sadness to, to cry and, and be reassured and have compassion, um, which compassion is inherently healing. And the only thing that pulls you, you can't fake compassion, you can try, but people figure it out. They pose it as emotion, you know, if, for people to um, begin, not only just to understand this, I, I explain it because I, I need buy-in, I need them to say, oh, okay, this is worth doing, but then we have to actually do it. I can tell you how to play basketball, but we got to go to the court and we got to practice, you know, and that's what I see as my role. And then they start doing it out there. They yeah. start coming back and tell me about how I had a different conversation with my partner, or I, I asserted myself to my boss at work and asked for that raise or whatever it is. Um, instead of doing the thing that they used to do. I used to just get pleasant with that anger. Or I used to just blow up with that sadness or I used to, they'll come in proud and say, you wouldn't believe it. I told my wife that hurt my feelings or I told my boss, yeah. no, you can't talk to me that way. I, I, you're my boss, but this is not an appropriate way. <laughs> we, so call that, like, see, we call that a CLM, career limiting move to tell mm -hmm. your boss. <laughs> yeah. And again, it's an important point. Emotions create masses. That's why we're afraid of them. You know, like the conflict with my friend, like they were worried about the mess, some of the emotions that isn't yeah. pleasant joy that might create. Um, but, but again, you are responsible to your emotion and it has a consequence. So I have to determine if this, if, if I can't assert myself in my boss and, my, and this is really impacting me, 
then what is my responsibility to myself? What do I need to do? Do I need to pay the rent? And so I have to choose, okay, I've tried this for myself and I can't, and I'm going to choose to eat this, but at least I'm choosing it. Yeah. Or am I going to look for a job? Am I going to serve myself? Am I going to choose a different career? Like, but not on a whim, but you have to, I think we dismiss emotions as this luxury or this um, thing that's kind of a pain, a friend or a foe, in which we, when it's good, we want it. And when it's bad, we're just going to brush it aside. Instead of hearing it as an important information source to be listened to in its core message, not reacted to, because you're meant to listen to it, be aware of it, name it. When you can name an emotion, it begins to be experienced different neurologically. Name it, express it in a healthy, vulnerable way, and then meet the need either yourself or relationally meet the need. Yeah. But see, what you described, again, so back to reacting versus responding. I remember reading something about drugs. If you react, you have a, say, allergy, that's a reaction. It's a negative, it's a negative effect. If you respond and you're, you're you're responding well to the drugs and you get better, that's a response. Like that's that's positive. That that's a positive side. So what you just described again is reaction. You're you know the opposite emo- the wrong emotion, but responding. How are you how are you responding to that anger? How are you responding to the sadness? I, I, maybe I'm putting into some something I a term I expect uh, I understand that, that the drug use or whatever. So negative. Yeah. Who, if the emotion is controlling you or you're controlling the emotion, if I'm able to say, I feel nervous right now, you know, I, I'm in control of this emotion. I can be aware of it. I can feel it. I can express it to you. Uh, you know, if I'm not and I'm shaking and, <laughs> and I, or I'm stuttering or, or this coffee mug full of water is actually vodka or whatever it is, um, the emotion's driving me now. Yeah. Uh, I, I have lost my differentiation from this experience, um, which really, this is a powerful, our emotions are a powerful force. And when that happens, other people sense they don't like it. If you walk out to your car and there's someone raging, they're raging, you think, oh, this is unsafe. But if that person says, I'm so angry, a little part of you feels a little safer because they can notice their experience. They use the, the metacognition to observe themselves. Um, noticing your experience, but listening to it and experiencing it expressing it and ideally having it relationally met the need but if yeah. not relationally yourself you know some days when i'm sad i need to go for a hike yamnuska is my hike i go for that hike when i'm sad some days that's me listening to that need and it's so there's another voice in my head that says no don't do that there's so many other things to do whatever blah 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 I have to really honor that this is a feeling and then it goes away versus I don't and it piles up a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. And then all of a sudden I'm burnt out then the week or I'm short with my family or, right. you know, I had one too many beers at dinner or whatever it is. Like it, I think accountability to our emotions, knowing that they're not something we get to choose, um, but we can choose how we respond to it's fundamental. And I wanted to say one thing about emotions, because I like to explain this to people. Most people, when they think back on their lives, their, especially their early lives, look for car, what I call car crash moments. A car crash moment is when something obvious and hurtful happens to you. You got in a car crash, you broke your femur in half. It's obvious you can signal that this happened. They're yeah. clear marks. And those do happen to people and they're traumatic. But there are also the lead paint of our lives. And I don't think this is talked about enough. 
the lit pain of our lives is when we the, the it was in the air we breathed every day we didn't know it was, it was lead paint oh right right we breathed every day and then we start getting sick later in life and we can't figure out why what the lead pain realizes is when we aren't allowed or able to experience these core parts of ourselves and and be met so usually lead paralyzed is not what happened like so and so hit me but it's what didn't happen like me when i was a little guy when i was sad i went in the woods by myself you know what didn't happen is i wasn't able in the culture that i grew up in what yeah. i didn't feel comfortable going and expressing that and being held past a certain age six or whatever right and so the lead paint one of the elements of the lead paint there's multiple is these impacts of what we breathe in every day of the emotional culture of our home what, yeah. what parts were allowable what parts met us with love and encouragement and what parts weren't and we just knew this no one told us this but we knew this people will tell you i don't remember ever being sad or i don't want that means before they can consciously remember they'd embodied these lessons and like I said earlier, these lessons begin as a baby. We start to free ourselves really quick because we have to fit into the pack. We're a pack animal. We have to fit in. We have to figure out what will get us accepted. And so I like to think this is the lead pain of our lives. And to me, this is the unseen injury of our times. This is the thing that when we're trying to figure out, you know, why is someone later in life sick or later in life expressing yeah. and for that, we don't ever take into account. But since it's an inherent force, there has to be a consequence. If you dam a river because you didn't like that it flooded and had droughts and you dam the river and then you build your little house downstream, you keep going up and, and reinforcing the dam. Eventually, like we're not, an, an engineer would go nuts on this. Eventually that force has to go somewhere. So tributaries will form or the dam will crack. Well, look at this, look at the swamp in Florida is a swamp, right? Literally a swamp because of their, you know, the cycle, the, the they were trying to create some kind of waterways same the Aral Sea in, in uh, Kazakhstan, right? They I dammed it, the irrigation downstream to create it, and it caused the, the sea just dried up, half the sea dried up. Yeah, no, no, I can't. That's, the, that's real. When, you, when an ecosystem exists, when you block a natural force, there's a consequence to it. And if yeah. not immediate, you pay the consequence later in life. If you, if you and, and most people don't consciously choose this, but if you don't allow... Your emotions are this, your core emotions are a river. If you don't allow some of this experience, then they will have an effect in some other way. And I think when we are need to understand ourselves, I think this is the piece we none of us take into account. And it's, I think it's crucial. We need to look at the lead pain of our lives. And here's the important part. If a person says, oh, that wasn't me or didn't have me, it happened to all of us because no human being is fully comfortable with any yeah. emotion you know even the most actualized realized person probably isn't like but for normal people no so that means our parents weren't fully comfortable i had wonderful parents i'm grateful my parents but i just shared that my sadness had to be dealt with alone my shame alone like so i think all of us could reflect on what was the lead pain of life what are those things that i wasn't really allowed to show or express that are inherently part of who i am and are fundamentally needed and what do i do with them now because i didn't learn to do with them then this is incredible. I mean, it's incredible. Like, I wanted to one one point I wanted to share, and I want to let you give some final thoughts. But you, most of what you've uh, you've talked about today reminds me of this NLP or neuro linguistic programming. I don't. Is that something you're, you're familiar with? No, I'm not aware of that. So I read something probably a couple of years, probably during COVID, 
And it was something about where people had traumatic experiences or phobias, and they used neuralistic language, uh, neuro linguistic programming to change your way of thinking. It just sounds like you're probably doing it inherently, but it just sounds like you know. I, I'm going to task you with this because if this is hits into your, it's a psychology type of a thing. But I'm like that made sense when I read it. It made sense to change that traumatic experience of whatever happened in the war or maybe your phobia of fear of whatever bees or you know the woman i remember reading because it was vivid she's like she would get hives just the thought of bees you know bees not even getting stung and so they changed that you know that, that somehow they changed the, the, the nlp or neuralistic uh neuralistic programming to change her view of bees and it, it she no longer had allergic reactions i don't know it may, maybe it's a bit far-fetched I don't think so. There's a lot. There's over 200 therapies. So there's a lot of interesting work being done. Um, I think the stuff that gains attention tends to be the stuff we're comfortable with. Yeah. Um, but like the, I mean, the some of the most severe trauma therapies are somatic. Their body work. They're by psychologists or psychiatrists usually, but their body work. Um, you know, the ones Pat Ogden's work, Pierre Levine's work, um, and often that by work emotions are released. Uh, so I find this really interesting. We don't, not all, there's some, but most really commonly used trauma approaches aren't using cognition because you can't outthink your amygdala. Your amygdala is your core emotional center of your brain. It's the alarm bell of your brain. Yeah. And your prefrontal cortex, your thinking part of your brain, when that's activated, shuts down. If you don't believe me, think of the last time you got a really bad fight with your spouse. Um, did you really think through everything you said? <laughs> you know? No, none of us do, right? Um, and so uh, I think that when we're looking to heal, we can't ignore just because culturally and personally that safer thought, cognition, like behavior doing it, that's safe. But we can't ignore our emotions, our core emotions. And we definitely shouldn't live our lives doing this we shouldn't live our lives a slave to our emotions which means just reacting to them but we shouldn't also live our lives dismissing the core relevance of them that's like dismissing your hunger or your thirst i think we need to understand this and understand we all are doing this to some degree because we all had some lead paint in the walls um, brilliant i love the analogy of the car crash and the lead paint and it's literally there's the toxic it just it's, it's in you keeps it keeps uh, affecting you but you don't know it Versus the car crash, it's it's acute. You know it, it's there. Boom, yeah. you see it. And if you think about that, if you had lead paint in you for 10 years and then you got a car crash, the, how quickly you heal from car crash will have a lot to do with that lead paint in your body. Yeah, so which is interesting because if you look at trauma, one of the best indicators of the longevity of trauma, how, how long it will impact a person, is um, the response, the caring, compassionate response of their loved ones when they found out about that trauma. Was that person able to tell them? Not actually the trauma itself, which matters, but the response, yeah. the care they got, yeah. if their emotions were attended to look after. That's phenomenal. Well, Daniel, so oh, culture on, away. No, I just think just on that note, we need to get a, this culture away from telling people to push it down, white knuckle it, you know, tough it out, push the boost bootstraps because you know we end up having people carrying that trauma or carrying this hurt for the rest of their life. And that's what, why I wanted to show today. Yeah. Well, I, I love the analogies, the bare knuckle. That's pretty much when you just kind of just put your knuckles together and and and, and keep that pain and whatever it is, the anger. And 
bottled up inside or crying. Maybe it's, it's a crying emotion. Maybe it's a sadness, whatever it is, but you basically just grit your, grit your teeth and hold your knuckles until they go white. Yeah. Yeah. And we see a lot of this in different populations, but I think men are really bad at this right now. Yeah. 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 Daniel, we got all say I'm, I'm pretty psyched up about this conversation today. Thank you for that. What, but what can our, I think there's three listeners now, Daniel, you've brought in, <laughs> you've managed to, to bring in some people who, who wanted to, to understand this better, but what, what are some takeaways we can get from this talk? I want to joke that the third listener is probably just my mom. So <laughs> I was going to say that, but, but my mom passed away some time, but yeah, no, I said, um, yeah, you know, I'm passionate about this, but I don't always do a good job concisely articulate so um, I like your question hopefully I can try and do that now I think it would be to if you're upset about anything in life bothered feeling anything try to distill inside yourself what is the what do I really feel what's the core feeling underneath this am I really sad am I really hurt you know, am I really afraid? I'm really ashamed. I'm really core anger, which is in the same secondary. Um, and then honor that you have that force inside, you have that energy. So experience it, hold space for it, express it, ideally to another person. But if not, you can still express within, like to yourself. Um, and then follow the need after that. Rather than, if you're uncomfortable with it, do the other thing you want to do. Because I guarantee that everything you want to not only will in the end not be good for you, but will perpetuate more of this into your life. Wow. That is the core thing I want people to try to do. And it's not a binary. I'm constantly working on this. Um, but I think it's an, a goal we should set ourselves to uh, and know that we all have to do this. Well, Daniel, I think this is this has been incredible, and and thank you for taking the time to. But I want to remind because you're turtle. <laughs> mm -hmm. There's an expression where you just turtle up, right? You just put your yeah. put your head or the the head in the sand, um, yeah. you know, the ostrich, right? So those two expressions. I know you did a, you did an animated video with the turtle, but those mm -hmm. are the two, right? That, that's the don't go turtle up or don't put you know yeah, don't put well, your head in the sand. So don't avoid, but also you can avoid aggression, anxiety, numbness, like dissociate. You can do a lot of things, secondary things with your feelings, like all of which are problematic. Yeah. Um, even hyperperformance seems good, but it's problematic. Um, you know, the vulnerable thing you're trying to avoid is the fundamental thing that you were built to listen to. So begin to have the courage to turn into your vulnerability and face that. That's hey, all of us, include myself. You know, um, and the more you think it doesn't apply to you, probably the more it applies to you. Wow. Um, anyway, thank you for having me, Alan. I always appreciate our chats. I look Daniel, this has been great. I look forward to the next episode. We can get psyched up. I, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil it for those three listeners. Uh, we'll keep that. We'll keep them guessing. We'll get the, keep them thinking about what to get psyched up about next. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye. Cheers. <laughs>